Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Kyle Thompson is my guest, and I want to tell you, he is uh, the man behind something called Undaunted Life. Uh, we've met a couple of times. I've been on his podcast, which is called Undaunted Life. The mission of Undaunted Life is equipping men to push back darkness. Clear enough for you? Kyle Thompson, welcome to the program. I'm so happy to be here. Let's get after it. Well, let you t- tell me, when. how did you get into this? Because, you know, give, give us your background, <clears throat> because you've had all kinds of guests on the podcast, Undaunted Life, uh, many of whom I know uh, you've had me on. But how did you how did you get into this uh, this thing about wanting to help men be men and push back the darkness? How did that work? How did that happen? Yeah, so I became so I'm from Oklahoma. And so just by virtue of being born on red dirt, apparently I'm supposed to just believe in Jesus and believe in God and all those types of things. Yes. But I became yeah, but I became a Christian as a teenager, as a 10th grader. And so if you look at that timing wise, around the same time I'm learning to become a Christian, whatever that means, I'm learning to become a man, whatever that means. And so, Eric, there was this dichotomy for me where the manly men were outside the church doing man stuff and all the godly men were inside the church with their shirts tucked in and, you know, saying they'll pray for me and their soft handshakes and all that. And I was like, so I had this dichotomy as I'm learning all this. And I was like, okay, this is a little bit weird, but you know, I'm learning the game here. But as I got into my early twenties, I was like, wait a minute, there are dudes that are pretty rough dudes that are rough around the edges. They got, you know, broken noses like me and messed up ears like me. And, you know, maybe they do things that are kind of outside of the normal uh, manhood thing inside of the church. And I'm like, these people aren't here. Why aren't they here? Why aren't they inside these walls? And so I knew a lot of the president. Because many churches are feminized. Is that a good guess? shocking revelation there yeah. from you, but yeah, breaking news to everybody listening. Breaking and news. so, I mean, it goes back and I'm sure we'll talk about a letter to the American church, but let's talk about the feminized pastor that, that basically allowed uh, the Brown church to run wild and the Nazi party to, to rise to prominence. But you know, uh, we'll, we'll digress from there. And so I, I started to think through some things. I did some men's ministry things. Most of the men's ministries, Eric, that I was a part of were actually just women's ministries that were repackaged for men. Uh, right. Most, that's, most that's of the kind of funny, but true. Yeah, but like same thing, uh, the YouVersion Bible app, which is, I think, the most downloaded app on the planet, that was designed by the church I was going to at the time. The devotionals on the app that were for men were kind of like that. They were kind of for women, and I was trying to read them, and I'm like, these things are terrible. So I told the staff I didn't like them. They're like, okay, tough guy, write your own. I did. It became, I think, at one point, the second most read men's devotional on the actual app behind the pastor that helped create the app. And so I was like, okay, there's something here, but I'm not like you. I don't like writing that much. Like I'm, I'm decent at it, but I don't like it. Hey, I, I might be decent say, at it, but I never said I liked it. It's just, okay, what, I do. It's just what I do, man. But well, uh, it's your calling. It's no, your no, calling well, for sure. Yeah, okay. But thank you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so, so just to wrap up that, that little part, it's basically 
I the the medium that lends itself to putting five or six bullet points on a sheet of paper and flowing for 45 minutes is podcasting. So I started the podcast back in 2017 so that I wouldn't have to write more stuff, even though I did end up doing that. And then it's just kind of evolved to where it is today, where we're going to tackle faith, culture, and politics. We're going to do it unapologetically. We're going to hit the topics that pastors are too scared to talk about, because if the men are not equipped to push back darkness, darkness will reign, and I'm not down with that. Wow. Well, because you and I have talked you know, we understand that you cannot be a Christian in any real sense if you're a man without understanding God made you to be a man. It's not the same mm-hmm. thing as being a woman. It's different. And that's God's intentional design. And so we're living in a culture. Um, look, the culture has always been broken and sinful, but yeah. right now it's becoming overtly uh, messed up on this very issue. I mean, it's been messed Mm -hmm. up on this issue for a long time, but now you actually have people genuinely trying to deconstruct the whole idea of being a man or being a woman, and you realize they're at war with God. This is God's Mm -hmm. intentional design. This is called reality. Ladies and gentlemen, it's called reality. Reality. It's inescapable. God made you and he made me. And a simple blood test can tell you whether you are a man or a woman. It's that simple. And it goes to the core of all of reality in the universe. Mm-hmm. And we're being told, no, 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 move on. Forget about that. And so, Kyle, you, you kind of figured this out. And we both know, too, that when you have a pastor who gets this, men are flocking to these churches. Like if Mm -hmm. you find a pastor that gets this stuff that we've talked about, men are flocking to the churches. They're saying that that kind of that kind of Christianity, that that appeals to me. And we are seeing more and more of it. And I I get in I get more and more invited to churches where the pastors are like this. They get it. Um, But you, you and I have talked about how it's sort of been baked into the to the church model over the decades that you know, the number one Christian virtue is to be nice or something, yeah. which obviously Jesus didn't get that memo when he flipped over the tables. And, you know, he didn't he didn't understand that. No, 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 no. You're supposed to be nice. Um, so t- talk about how you when you said I wanted to do what it is that you're doing. Uh, where are you in life? Married kids? So married, two kids. I have two boys uh, that are under the age of three, so a two-year-old and an eight-month-old. They're going to be the most toxically masculine boys that you will ever meet in your entire life, but they will also be warrior poets. These are not just going to be guys that are driving around doing four-wheel drive, having you know beard, smoking cigars, and eating beef jerky and chasing women. That's caricature masculinity. But to kind of get back to what you were talking about with the churches, the interesting thing is churches treat men's ministry two ways. They either don't do it at all, or they do a once a year men's event where they feed the guys meat and have some, you know, former football player come in and talk about how he used to do cocaine and chase women. And he doesn't do that anymore. And you know how God saved him and all, and all that's fine, but that's not men's ministry. What churches need to focus on, Eric is not men's ministry. They need to focus on their churches being man friendly. And so that goes into all areas of the church. So when you're thinking about the songs you're going to sing, is it in a key that guys can hit? Are the lyrics homoerotic in nature where these men feel like they're singing to Jesus as if he's their his soft featured Danish boyfriend? Is that (laughs) basically what we're doing here? But the same thing with and you know this, if a man doesn't feel needed, 
he will go somewhere where he does feel yes, needed. That's and right. so Sunday mornings, they feel needed on the shooting range. They feel needed on the driving range. They feel needed in their next fantasy football draft. They feel needed in their, their room where they're playing video games with people from around the world. They will go where they're needed. And so churches should be blinking neon signs. Jordan Peterson talks about this all the time. Blinking neon signs. Men, we don't just want you we need you here and church is for you but a lot of our kind of mealy mouth postmodern pastors we don't want a man to tell us to be nice all the time because you talked about jesus overturning the tables we actually have evidence if you look at kind of the timeline of the gospels he didn't do that once eric he did that twice he did that at the beginning of his ministry and towards the end of his ministry and so this is premeditated righteous aggression from the son of God. Right. And now that doesn't mean we only turn over tables, but that's why I've got no, a turn over behind. everything. Um, right. But no, seriously, when you think about that, I, I talked about this just recently someplace, but it is in response to injustice and corruption and evil. And mm-hmm. a real man gets angry when he sees corruption and cruelty and evil, right. and, and he wants to do something about it. And sometimes... It's turning over tables. It's getting people's attention and saying, this will not stand. I will not stand for this. That is appropriate. Now, it can become inappropriate. Anything, any good thing can become a bad thing. But Mm -hmm. we have to restore a vision of what it is for us that we are protectors. When we see something wrong, when we see something being attacked, we want to do something about it. That's healthy, folks. That's healthy. So you want to channel it. Uh, in the way that God wants you to channel it, but Mm -hmm. to shut it down, uh, that's not God's plan. It's certainly not God's plan. And the other part of it is, and I've I've noticed this, and of course you're, you're big in the Christian space and the conservative space. Conservatives and Christians have been convinced, as you said earlier, that being nice is the utmost virtue and that being I guess weak and being uh, unassuming is also the utmost virtue, but there's nothing virtuous about a weak man that is incapable of violence. Because when you talk about meekness, we, we, in our modern parlance, we see that as weakness. You know, we want Jesus meek and mild, carrying a lamb, going around, kissing people on the tips of their noses, telling them how cute they look in their tunics. But we, we neglect the lion of Judah because the lion of Judah is scary to us. Lion. The lamb of God. Yeah. Lions are scary. Let's just go yeah. with the lamb. Yeah, lions are scary. They're hard to control. The lions have testosterone and they're virile and, and all those different things. Like, like I get it. But if that's what you give to men, what you're doing is you're making them incapable of pushing back against darkness right. because a lot of Christians and a lot of conservatives, right. they get to this point where, okay, they you push me, you push me, you push me, and their back's against the wall, and they're like, hey, now, you, uh, you don't want to see me if I get angry. Say, and you, you better back off before I get angry. The problem is, is the war will be over someday, Eric. Yes. And conservatives and Christians will have woken up and realized, I never picked up my sword. Yeah. I never oh, put on my And by the way, folks, plate. if you don't do something, guess who's going to do something? The state. They'll just step in, right? And sure. just, we'll take away your guns. We'll take away whatever. You just sit in the corner there and, and we'll take care of everything. That's really right. not God's model. We were talking a moment ago, Kyle, just about, you know, the feminized church. And I want to say that this goes back at least in America to the mid-19th century. Mark Twain Mm -hmm. was kind of repulsed by what passed for Christianity uh, when he wrote his book, Huck Finn. Huck was kind of like a bad boy, right? Not really bad, but he was not, you know, up to Aunt Polly's standards, right? Mm -hmm. He was doing this and doing that, getting in trouble and stuff. Mark Twain uh, understood that church life in America 
had become all about these biddies, these old biddies who were all about moralism and be nice and, you know, make sure your clothes is nice when you go to church. And that became church culture in America for a lot of people in the 19th century. And that is repulsive to men. It's why Mm -hmm. flipping ahead 100 years, you have Norman Rockwell creating that classic image of the man in his uh, bathrobe, looking at the newspaper, kind of hiding as the wife takes the kids off to church. Mm -hmm. That is at the heart of the American religious experience, is that churches have traditionally not understood what we are talking about. And it's high time that that change, folks, because the reason we are in the hellhole we're in in this culture is because of what we're talking about right now. So Kyle Thompson uh, who is the uh, man behind Undaunted Life. Um, what do you see happening in the culture today? I, I mean, I see a lot of positive evidence that guys like you are really getting this. So first of all, you're canceled for mentioning that book, uh, Huckleberry Finn, because obviously there's words in there that we're not allowed to use. Uh, and the funny thing about that, we have a book list on our website, the 100 books every modern Christian man should read list. Uh, is Atheism Dead is uh, featured prominently on that list. So is a book by uh, by Mark Twain. And, you know, it's just one of those books that it's, it's very important for men to understand these different categories and men need to be readers. But I'll digress from there. What, what we book? see in cult. Which, 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 which book by Mark Twain? Uh, so the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Oh, you're serious. So Huck Finn is on your list. Absolutely. So I, my book is on a list that Huck Finn is also on. I'm excited about that. Mark Twain doesn't so, get better than Mark Twain. Well, the, the cool thing about that list is there's a bunch of categories. So there's there's categories about money and there's categories about theology and categories about apologetics and history and all those different things. And so uh, yours is featured in the Christian category and that's in our literature category. Um, but the thing about what's happening currently in our culture is obviously we're downstream of postmodernism. The church has allowed that to happen. And the thing is, is if you control capital T truth, right, actual truth, tangible truth, you also control facts. And so the thing about it, and we've seen this, whether it's where you're talking about elections or you're talking about whether a woman is actually a woman or any of those different things. If you can destroy truth, then the facts become whatever you want them to be. Because what undergirds truth are facts. So I mentioned this on my show recently. Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. That's undergirded girded by a lot of truths that, you know, he came after the 15th president and before the 17th president. There was an election. He got more votes than the other guy. And like there's all these things that undergird what truth is. But in postmodernism, the, the lie that Satan told in the garden is carried forward all the way through to the day we're in now. Did God actually say did he did he really say that homosexuality was wrong? Did he really say that? Did he really say that there were only two genders? Did he really say? I mean, I just saw recently where someone thought that Jesus was transgender and they presented all this evidence as to why Jesus was transgender and had a transgender body. Did he really say? And the thing is, talking about what you talked about, you know, mid 19th century, even before that, two big times led to this degradation of manhood, specifically in the church. You had World War One and World War Two where all the strong, able-bodied, virile men were off dying in some hellhole in in Europe. And you also have the Industrial Revolution, which took a lot of men out of the homes, took a lot of men out of their communities. And so what's left in the church, the old, the sick, the weak, and the young. And so you have these pastors that are now catering their content, catering their sermon content, the musical content to the biddies that you were talking about. And you're shocked 
when you look up one day and where are all the sheepdogs, where are all the Christians that are okay with pushing back darkness? They're not there because they've been communicated to this is not for you. And so we have a church that is downstream from culture. And here we are sitting here flummoxed, like, how did this actually happen? It's like, well, you just follow the steps and this is where we are. Well, that's beautiful, Kyle Thompson. Uh, a lot of a lot of guys get this and more and more are getting it. I don't want to uh, forget uh, because it just these ideas flit through my head. Uh, Nancy Piercy, uh, with whom I had the privilege of working uh, back when I worked for Chuck Colson, has written a book that's coming out. I don't know if it's next month or uh, but very soon on uh, this issue of masculinity and traditionally how we got here that touches on some of this stuff. But we'll have Nancy Piercy on to talk about that. She all of her books are spectacular, um, but it's important that we understand how this happened and how if we don't figure this out and push back, uh, God, you know, when, when you talked about the lion, uh, there's the classic uh, passage in C.S. Lewis's uh, uh, Narnia Chronicles when they ask, is the lion, this Christ figure, the lion Aslan, is he tame? And the answer is no, he is mm-hmm. not tame. He is wild, but he is good. And this we have to recapture this idea of goodness that is also untamed. It's a whole different view of goodness. It's not a pruned box hedge. Uh, Hmm. It is a wild olive tree. It is something different. So uh, you've got a podcast, which are you doing that weekly? That's is that a weekly podcast? Yeah. So we release three episodes a week, three a week. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Uh, I know I've been on there, but you've had a lot of wonderful people on there, uh, manly men like Phil Robertson. I love Phil Robertson so much. I had yeah. the privilege of actually going duck hunting with him uh, down uh, down in the swamps. And nice. uh, But he's someone that, you know, you don't need to spend a minute with him before you realize he, he gets this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's why I think he's so appealing uh, to so many people because – so many people, they have an innate sense that something's wrong and they're looking around. And when they see that kind of manliness coupled with godliness, they go, oh, I, I figured that had to exist someplace, but it's uh, it's just not typically on display. Well, the thing with Phil, because I've been able to spend some time with Phil, I've been on their show a couple of times. That man is marinated in the scriptures. He doesn't read it. He doesn't study it. He's marinated in it. We're doing this interview. He's on my show and he's in his chair, right? His chair in his living room and he's got his Bible out there and I'm just letting him go. Like I didn't, I didn't do 75% of the questions I wanted to ask him because he's like, Hey man, looky here. And he just flips over to you know versus scripture and he's, he's applying it to what we're talking about and applying it to culture. And the thing that we do, Eric, is we think the solutions are more complicated than they actually are. I just taught my Sunday school about Galatians 2. This is where the part where, you know, Paul rebuked Peter for, you know, basically accepting what the Judaizers were doing, which was, hey, you got to be Jewish. So it's, you know, it's grace through faith, yes, but then also you have to become Jewish, which is quite the commitment for an adult Gentile male. But at the same time, it's like we want to add stuff to the gospel because it seems too simple. We want to add stuff to how we can fix culture because it seems too simple. We want to add stuff to whatever thing in culture that we have a problem with because it just seems the solution seems way too simple. But then you have a guy that's got this kind of down home backwoods, very, very simple way of approaching the earth and approaching everything inside of the earth. And he says, what we need is more of God. We don't need more government. 
We don't need more pundits. We don't need more opinion hosts. We don't need more podcast hosts like me. We need more of God. And so we need more people that are pointing people to the Father. So when people focus on me, I try to reflect that off and point them back to the Father, which is what a good pastor would do, of which I am not. But that's the thing that we just we miss out on it because we're like, it just can't be that simple. Well, when we think of uh, most of the men in Scripture, too, we we have to understand that, you know, who was soft and effeminate and maybe Herod? Uh, John the Baptist yep. was a wild man living yep. out in, you know, the equivalent of the woods out in the middle of nowhere, uh, eating locusts and honey. And we- I mean, th- that idea, that wildness at the heart of who God wants men to be, uh, as we've been saying, it's been lost. It's been it's been uh, manicured. And, and and I have to say that um it's why we are where we are. You said it before that if men do not stand up and fight. Now, this is not to say that women aren't to stand up and fight as well. You know, we got these mama right. bears wanting to protect the kid. That's that's healthy and normal. But I'm saying that if men do not step up uh, and do this, you get what we have today, which is to say the government will do everything. You don't have to do anything. You don't need to have a gun. We've got guns. We'll take care of that, whatever. Even I mean, I remember um you know, when we got this sort of professional uh, military, it's kind of like, no, we're mm-hmm. going to farm this out to the professional class. You guys, you know, that's fine. Just you go shopping. And you think, well, there's something messed up about that, because if my country is being attacked or or uh, what's important is under attack, I need to step up. We all need to step up in our way. And that used to be part of who we were as a nation. And over the decades, that's changed. And it's been kind of farmed out to this prof- the professional military class. And it, 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 it disables us from doing part of what God made us to do. When also we look at the government, I know you've talked about this a lot on your show. We look at the government to solve our problems. That's our default mechanism when there is an issue that we run into is what can the government do to step in here? Whereas not that long ago, and that's not some bygone era, not that long ago, it was like, what can this community do? Because guess what? If, if somebody in my Sunday school or someone in my church, if they're hurting, if they can't pay the mortgage, if somebody's sick or, you know, uh, somebody dies or something like that. Guess what? Me and my guys, we're going to we're going to work in that situation and we're going to deal with it. And there have been guys that have come to me and the guys that are in my foxhole that have needed protection. They've needed help moving. They've needed help taking care of this or that issue. And we built a community that allows for that. And these are people that weren't looking to daddy government to take care of them. They were looking to a community of rugged believers to hop in and help them in every area of their life when they so choose and when they need it. And that's something that we've we've devalued in our culture because it's like, ah, we don't really need to do that. And then you have these pastors that are like, you know what, I'm going to be known for what I'm for, not what I'm against. And then that's their excuse to not push back against into any of this cultural degradation. Well, there's a lot of problems inside the church. Let's deal with that first before we push back against abortion, before yeah, you we know, push back against You know against what the problems are on the church? What you just said. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable when people talk about that. And you know, because you had me on your program talking about my book, Letter to the American Church. To not speak against evil is to be complicit with evil. To say, well, that's exactly. not my lane. Yes, it is your lane. It is mm-hmm. your lane uh, as a man, as a Christian. It is your lane. And w- when you somehow uh, twist things theologically so that you can get out from doing that, y- you're really uh, you're, you're cutting off the limb that you're sitting on, folks. This Eric, is it is Eric, your I need job. To- 
I need to read this tweet to you. Yeah. This is a, a guy here recently. I'll be quick. So he's a faculty member at a seminary. This guy's. This is apparently a real person, Dr. Kevin M. Young. So he, he tweeted this, right? Oh, this I is think I saw this. All right, I'm bracing okay. myself. <clears throat> I've been chewing on this response to my tweet. I've realized that, for me, gay marriage actually paints a more beautiful semiotic of Christ and his church than a mere hetero one. God's kingdom is diverse in makeup, experience, and belief, but one thing unites above all. Okay. Love. Okay, excuse me. Here's the here's the problem. As soon as he used the word semiotic, I wanted to shoot him with both barrels. <laughs> in love. Well, it's like- when you use the word semiotic, I'm like, you know what? Eh, I'm out because it's there are words like that. It's like Christology. There are words when people use it. I'm like, okay, dude. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Red flag. Red flag. Flag on the field. I am out when you use the word semiotic. I mean, look. First of all, it's wrong. It's really stupid what he said, but it's so sure. funny how you dress it up with the word the, a more powerful semiotic. Like, no, no, actually, that's not even true. But just for using that word, you're out and I'm out. So you just read that tweet, which look, 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 look sometimes, honestly, Kyle, I think like we were casting pearls before swine by even engaging yeah. Like, it's so dumb. The only rational thing is to look away or to run away or or to just do anything, go mow the lawn or shovel the snow because it's so stupid. There are people that are so messed up and lost that they they would write something that dumb. And I want to weep because I know a lot a lot of these types of, of, of people and. You know, they're they're not getting it on any level. But I think sometimes arguing with them is almost becomes as foolish because the f- only thing you can say is what he said is wrong and preposterous. And, and even mm-hmm. to engage is just it's just silly. Well, there's so much here. How many people saw this and thought, yeah, that sounds plausible. Uh, <laughs> the number of times he used the word I in the tweet as opposed to what God says. Uh, so his, his you know, dialectic is basically whatever I believe and whatever uh, makes me feel happy and where I'm in my feels. But a guy like this. He's got his pronouns in his bio, which, of course, he does. I go to his website. He lists as one of his skills as integrity, but apparently he doesn't mean in terms of what the Bible says and what he's supposed to be teaching people about it. But I put this on my Instagram, and I put it out there, and I tagged him in it, and he responded like, oh, I don't really like the tone of this and everything. I'm like that. I'm like, come on my show. I would love for you to defend what you said. He didn't. This is going to be a shock to you and your audience. This is the type of guy that doesn't want to engage in a dialogue where he has to defend his positions. He just wants me to blindly and sycophantically be like, yeah, you're right. And you're loving and you're doing it correctly. But I'm sorry. Like, I'm going to give you the audience and I'm going to be fair and I'm just going to hit record and not edit. But he's unwilling to do that. But how many guys are out there like this, these charlatans that basically put this nonsense out into the ether and people attach themselves to it and say, yeah, yeah, I really like it. Well, let me ask you a question. Is this guy like some kind of a pastor? Where is he located? Like, so why would anybody uh, go to that quote unquote church? Like, I don't get this. Yeah, so I think he's a former pastor, and then uh, I tagged his seminary, and the seminary he works at is Northwind Seminary, whatever that means. Um, and so uh, th- this is a guy that is teaching other people how to view the Bible and how to view things, and this is the worldview he's espousing. Obviously, the moment you put your, your pronouns in your bio, that helps me fill in a lot of the blanks about your resume and who you are as a person. And I know that that's, that's kind of cheating because there's a lot of you know aspects of who a person is, but he's not unique, Eric. How many seminaries do exactly this stuff and how many people, you know, are going to be running churches someday? Look, that's why, folks, if you go to a church that doesn't get this stuff, stop going yesterday. If you don't, you're part of the problem. 
folks. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're giving money to a church like that or supporting a church that isn't crystal clear on this, we are in a war for the souls of our children. And the idea that somebody would hire somebody from a seminary who has someone like this, what's it called again? North Wind Seminary? North Wind Seminary. Okay. I don't know where they are or what they're pumping out, but it doesn't seem like uh, it's... Uh, it's getting much done. That's well, worth I'm doing. downwind. I'm downwind from Northwind, and it smells terrible. So we'll we'll kind of just leave that I one. I was going to say, man, that's rank just based on that yeah. one tweet. Ouch, that's been lying out there in the field for a long time. Um, no, it's kind of it, it's kind of um, I have to laugh and I have to make fun of it because it is just so silly, so patently preposterous when people say things like that. And I and I want to yeah. say that. You know, if he didn't say it in such a silly way, I mean, when you use the word semiotic, like I said, <laughs> like I'm, you think I'm not going to mock you. God made me to mock you it. when you use words like that. Right. I, they deserve our ridicule. I we're, we're at a time. Uh, it's fun talking to you, Kyle. Uh, we got to get you back on here. But in the meantime, people need to check out Undaunted dot life, Undaunted dot life. Kyle Thompson. God bless you, my friend. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.